The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Now, this morning we're going to be talking on this subject, God's will, finding the light in darkness. And these are dark days indeed, aren't they? But God wants to lead his people. And man, when I say man, I mean the humankind is a clever creature. We've, been, we've done some amazing things in the last several years, 50, 60 years. There's been scientific breakthroughs, right? Unlocking of knowledge taking place in our lifetime. You know, for example, we split the atom. We have nuclear weapons that can pretty much destroy the whole planet Earth. Space travel become a reality we now have the United States Space Force. Huh? Man has walked on the moon, unless you're a conspiracy theorist and you're like, no, they never happened. Think of the communications that develop in our lifetime. You know, one time I was preaching in California, and as soon as I was done preaching, I turned on my cell phone back up, and all of a sudden I get all these text messages from Michigan, Massachusetts, Cleveland several from Ohio, and it's all people responding to what I just preached about. Think about that. The technology, if you told you, if I told my grandmother that, she probably wouldn't believe it. And I know some of you are older than me, so what if you told your grandmother that? If you showed her a cell phone and boom, the whole world sees what you just posted. It's crazy. You know, when I was growing up in Soviet Union, we had a little box, black and white TV. Nobody had color TVs. If you had, you were like extra ultra rich or something. But that's just the 80s. Now TVs are everywhere. The phone. How much stuff you can do on your phone. And the, the, the speed of technology changing. If you got an iPhone 10, you're like behind technology these days, right? You got to spend another $1,000. <laughs> Getting the new one. You know, we have automobiles that can travel 600 miles an hour. They've done that on the salt flats. Airplanes travel 2,000 miles an hour. I was at the airport, you know, when I was traveling and people watching, doing my thing, and I saw a man walk up to the counter and he says, Can you tell me how fast it, it takes to travel from uh, Columbus to Chicago? And the man said, Just a minute. He said, Thank you. <laughs> but this is what the Bible says in the last days what will happen. Daniel 12.4, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Everybody's going to be rushing, running around. It's going to be all this information. Knowledge shall increase. But it seems with all this knowledge, as soon as we double our knowledge, we triple our trouble. We seems to be getting deeper and deeper into difficulties, and it seems looking, we're like looking at a loaded cannon that's going to shoot at us at any time. What's wrong with this world? What happened? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much heartache, confusion? Why is there so much animosity? And we have a generation of really misguided men in a guided missile world. All we really did was add speed and noise and not much light. And these amazing things happened just in the past 50, 
60 years. But in the same amount of years, divorce rates went up, crime rates increased. I was talking to an elderly gentleman not too long ago, and he was saying what happened to this world, and he said, I remember when I was in high school, we used to, you know, have guns hanging in the back of our truck with the windows open, and we would park, and nobody would shoot each other. There was no school shootings or anything like that. We'd shoot gear and pans and cans and that kind of stuff, and we drove to school with them. He's like, I don't know what's happening. But a man is a clever creature, but it seems we lost our way in the dark. We forgot what wisdom is telling us. And wisdom is telling us this in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And before we start breaking down this scripture, I want to give you some additional ones because God's promises promises here to guide us. And we talked about last time that for all promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen. And listen to this wonderful promise in Isaiah chapter 58, 11. It says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. And he shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. He's not going to guide us part time. The Lord will guide you continually. And then in Psalm 32, uh, verse 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And then it says, I will guide you with my eye. I will guide you with my eye. That's God's promise. There's no sweeter promise could be found in the Word of God. I will guide you with the eye. Uh, Are you close enough with the Lord that he can guide you with the eye? That's the most intimate type of guidance. As a matter of fact, my wife guides me with her eyes quite often. You know, for, you know your married folks know, which, you know what I'm talking about. We'll be at dinner and somebody's saying something and she's like, that's a cue, guiding with the eye. You know, or we have non-believers over and they'll say, I know the Bible says this, but I think... And she already knows what word's going to come out of my mouth like, don't matter what you think, but she's, no, not yet. That's guiding with the eye. Well, what, what is he going to guide us in? What is God going to guide us in? Well, if you look at Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Do you know what, what that means? That means God has a plan for my life before he laid down the foundations of the world. Apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he asked, I think, to me, they're the two greatest questions. He said, who are you, Lord? And when the Lord revealed himself, he says, Lord, what would you want me to do? And I think you can't ask too great of questions than that. He spent the rest of his life discovering the answer to those questions, exactly who Jesus Christ is and the will of God for Paul's life. And God has a plan for our life. You need to understand that. God has things he wants us to do. 
God prepared those things before the foundation of the world so we can walk in them. You see, God just doesn't have plans for nations or congregations. God has an individual plan for you. Matthew 10.30 says, but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I know some heads it's easier to count, but in Psalm 32, 20, uh, 37.23 says, and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. They're ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Steps of a good man. Not just his entire life, but every individual step. How wonderful of a promise that God is promising to guide us. God has a plan for everyone. God has a plan for the plumber. God has a plan for a preacher. God has a plan for everyone. And I want to tell you that if God calls you to be a plumber and you end up being a preacher, you're taking second best. Did you know that? The plumber in the will of God is higher positioned than he would be if he was a preacher preaching the gospel out of the will of God. Even if he preaches properly because really failure is just succeeding at the wrong thing. He's succeeding at the wrong thing. The will of God is the happiest place to be. That's the best place. That's God's will is the highest achievement of any person. Well, what's God's will? What's success? Well, success is not spelled money. It's not spelled fame. Success, in my opinion, is the progressive realization of the will of God for your life. It's the progressive realization of the will of God in your life. If God has the will for your life, God has a plan for your life, we would expect that God to reveal that plan to us. And it's our job, our duty, and privilege, and really it's an exciting thrill to find out the will of God, follow the will of God, and then what? Finish the will of God. So when we come to the end, as we read in John 17, 4, it says, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. When you meet Jesus, don't you want to say that? I have finished the work you've given me to do. And then hear the words that he says in Matthew 25, 21. says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what success is. And do you know what the most question that's asked of any Bible teachers or counselors or pastors or anything like that? How can I know the will of God? For my life? That's the most question. Is just, it's up there. And the Bible tells us clearly and plainly here, in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on our own understanding and always, and always acknowledge him. So he has an individual plan for your life. And folks, God doesn't make copies. You know that? Everything is original. He only makes original. There's a will for me. There's a will for you. He has different wills. But we all have the same purpose. And the purpose is to be like Jesus. But he has many plans. So let's talk about a bit letting God direct our lives. And to have a God-directed way to find God's way in these dark days in which we're living. So if you look at verse 5 again, it says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. First thing I want to look at 
If you're going to get wisdom to walk through this world and navigate through life successfully, you must what? What do you guys think? Trust in the Lord. The word trust means really to lay down. If I have an idea of putting one's complete weight on it. Let me ask you a question. When you got here this morning, any of you uh, checked the pew if it was able to hold your weight? Or you just kind of sat down? Why? Did you just have trust? Or any other people sitting in the same pew with you? Can it hold a soul up? You assumed something. You assume that the pew can hold you up, right? And I don't see anybody sitting here going like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, if it's, you assume that it's going to hold you up. You just simply trust it. Well, are you trusting in the Lord entirely? And I don't have some kind of shame to asking you to trust in the method or some kind of plan, a program, a philosophy. I'm asking you to trust in a person. And he's the only one that we ought to trust in the Lord. And folks, in my humble but accurate opinion, if you will never know the will of God without trusting the Lord. You will never know the will of God without trusting the Lord. I'm reminded of a story. A man was walking by a seaside cliff and fell over and grabbed a limb and was hanging there with hundreds of feet beneath him and the waves crashing at the rocks and he was screaming for help. And in darkness, he hears a voice, do you need help? He says, yes, I need help. The voice says, do you trust me? He says, yes, I trust you. The voice says, let go of the limb. And he says, is there anybody else? You see, too many of us believers believe in a God that we don't trust. Our Sunday morning religion ends on Monday morning, right? And yet there seems to be, you know, we, we, we trust God to get us to heaven but yet, we don't have that same trust to navigate us while we're here on earth. There seems to be a disconnect between those two. Do you find it difficult to trust in the Lord, especially with all your heart? Do you have a half-hearted trust? You want me to tell you why? You might not like what you're going to hear. You're going to probably send me some emails or texts and get mad. But I'll tell you why. And I'm included in this. If you're having difficulty trusting in the Lord, you don't love the Lord. You can't trust a person that you don't love. I mean, have you ever had a perfect stranger just come to you? Or say, let's play this out. Perfect stranger walks up to you and says, Close your eyes and open your mouth. Would you do it? You're like, well, well, what do you want me to do? Like, why? Right? You're going to ask those questions? But I would say the same thing. Like, no, what do you want me to do? But let's say my loving wife of 19 years comes and says, Cornet, close your eyes and open your mouth. Probably still won't do it. No, I would do it. I would. Why? Because I know her enough. I love her enough. I know that she loves me enough that she would not do anything to harm me, embarrass me, or do something that would be uh, not for my welfare. She might prank me, but why I would do it? Because I love her. Now, wait a minute. Well, why is it that we don't love him? 
because you don't know him. Friend, if you knew him, you'd love him. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether trustworthy, right, we say? And like the man hanging on the limb, we say, is there anyone, anyone else? Because he didn't fully understand who's up there. People do not love him are the people that do not know him. How can you know him and not love him? And why is it that we do not know him? It's because we're not spending time with him. You can't love someone that you don't spend time with. You don't know him because you don't know somebody because you don't spend time with them. And I hate to break it to some, some people. There's no such thing as love at first sight. Might, there may be infatuation, but as we come to know him more and more, we come to love him. And as we love him, we come to trust him. And as we come to trust him, then we obey, right? Then we would let go with the limb. And as we obey, we are blessed by him. So the question becomes, are you spending that quality time with him and his word that enables you to know him so that you might love him, so that you might trust him, so that you might obey him, so that you might be blessed? Are you spending time with him? How many of us really dig into the word of God? Who out here wants to do the will of God for their life? Whatever God assigned them, raise your hand. Everybody, wow, awesome. But now read John 7, 17. It says, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning doctrine. What does that mean? You want him to do his will, you got to know the word of God. To know the word of God, you got to spend time with him. How are you going to do the will of God without knowing his word? Well, there's so much here I don't understand at all. Well, I told you how you understand the parts that you don't understand is obey the parts that you do understand, and then the parts that you don't know will come in time. It's a progressive thing. So are you obeying the parts that you do understand? But you have to spend time in the Word of God. The Bible tells us to study the Scriptures, to search the Scriptures. Let me ask you another question, full of questions this morning. <laughs> How many of you believe everything you hear on the news or see in the social media posts? Raise your hand. Everything. Wow, not a hand. Awesome. This illustration will work great. How many believers believe everything you read in the Bible? Awesome. Now let me ask you this third question. How many of you spend more time watching the news and being on social media or reading other magazines or whatever than they do the Word of God? Don't raise your hand. People spend more time reading something or paying attention to something they don't believe than spending time in what they do believe. And it's the trick of a devil. Now, we're to trust the Lord with all our heart and not lean to understanding. And in, 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 if you look at verse 5 again, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. And I want to make something clear. I trust by the aid of the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't say we're not to trust, to not to have understanding. The Bible does not say here we're not to have understanding. God wants us to understand. But he says, lean not on your own understanding. Some scriptures to that is Proverbs 3, 7. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. And then Proverbs 14, 12, it says, 
there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. You can say, I got it all figured out. I consulted the banker. I consulted the doctor. I consulted whoever, the psychiatrist or whatever. I consulted my intellect. I have it all figured out. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is way to death. And Jeremiah said, in uh, Jeremiah 10, 23, said, O oh Lord, I know the way of the man is not of himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And he's right. But it doesn't mean we're not to understand. It means we're not to lean on our own understanding. And folks, in Proverbs, we read this before. I'm going to read it again. In Proverbs 2, first six verses, it says, My son... If you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you so that you incline to your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So God is not saying we're not to use our sanctified wisdom that he gives us. He's simply saying, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes. And let me give you an illustration of that. In the word of God, leaning on your understanding. Peter was a great fisherman. He knows everything about fishing. That was his trade. That's how he made a living. Now let me read some scriptures to you in Luke Chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. When he stopped speaking, he said, Simon, this is Jesus, lunch out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and cut nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let them down. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Let me read another one. John 21 Verses 3 to 6, Simon and Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Don't you hate it when that happens? I had three nights. Caught nothing. Caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? He's basically saying, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They've been fishing on the left side. So you tell me if I saw it on the right side, I'm going to get fish? Well, so they cast, and now they were able to draw in the net because of the multitude of fish. God told Peter, don't throw your net on that side. Throw it on this side. The problem was, Peter was a professional fisherman. Peter knew where to throw the net. And, you know, Peter says, Jesus, look, we've been out here all night. We haven't caught anything. They're not biting. Look, I know where to throw the net. I was raised in the fisherman family, right? He's the, he's the CEO, president of the fishing corporation. I know how to fish. But to humor you, Jesus, this is Cornet's translation, but to humor you, Jesus... I'll go ahead and do what you say and see what really, really, you know, you really have to stick to preaching. I know fish, you know sermons, stick to that. 
But we read, the Bible says, the net got so full, he was dragging the boats underneath. See, left to his own understanding, Peter would have been fishless. And that's why in Proverbs 16, 25 and Proverbs 14, 12, they say the same thing. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's in way of death. God is to give us wisdom. God gives us understanding. So number one, to know the will and the way of God for your life, there must be trust, absolute trust, trust in the Lord. Number two, not only there be trust, there must be a commitment. In verse 6, it says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do you see it? In all your ways, totally, completely committed to acknowledging him as Lord over every area of my life. God is not a part-time God. There must be commitment to him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him how? As the sovereign Lord and Savior of your life and has the right to rule over your life? Have you acknowledged him? Have you honestly said anywhere, anytime, any cost? God, whatever you want me to do. Has anybody prayed a prayer like that? It's a dangerous prayer to pray. But have you done that? Part of that is why I'm standing here preaching to you. I still can't figure it out. I was raised in the Russian church, preached at the Russian church, served at the Russian church, did everything Russian, only end up here. Why? God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And sometimes I have to search my heart and say before I even preach this message, is there anything that in the past that I said, God, I'm willing to do, and then kind of, Try to take it back off the altar. Am I really trusting? Am I really committed? Is there something that you've taken back off the altar? Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him with sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Just serve the Lord. We talked about this in the and the Ten Commandments, and if we really, if we go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 5, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that's on earth beneath, or that's water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am jealous God. He's a jealous God. Now, we talked about, you know, some people read this and they just talk about, like a carved image or, you know, they're thinking of a picture of Buddha that they're worshiping. No. Other gods can be family. It, you have to make some sacrifices to serve the Lord. Trust me. You have to put away some things. So, well, I don't have any idols, right? We think some kind of cross or some kind, maybe like a Catholic church that you're, that's not an idol. Idol could be your job. You're putting your job before the Lord. So there must be a total commitment. So when you have total trust and total commitment, you're going to get a thrilling consequences. I want to tell you, God has, he will open up ways. Number one, there must be trust. There must be commitment. He's the absolute sovereign Lord. He has total control over our lives. And then there will be thrilling consequences. No ifs and buts. There will be because he says so. And he says, when you do that, and he shall direct your paths. 
And I want to look at it, several things here. These things should excite you. He says, direct your path. How is God going to direct us? Well, if you read in Isaiah 30, 21, it says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, he says, this is the way, walk in it. How will he direct our paths? And we touched briefly on this. You, your ears shall hear a word. God speaks through his word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in what? In righteousness. It's instruction. The word sometimes gives us a warning. It gives us a word of encouragement, or it gives us a lesson in life. That means God is whispering something and shouting all through his word, giving us instructions in principles for life. And in books of Psalms, in Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So how are we going to have light in these dark days? Know what path to take? Your word is a lamp to my feet. I'm going to know it by the word of God. And the word of God reveals the choices we have to make. make for example, moral choices I have to make. But another way God will speak to you is directly to your heart. When you pray and ask God for wisdom, God speaks to the heart. Now, there's some that don't believe this. There's some, you know, God speaks supernaturally, but I believe God speaks to the inner man. And I believe that all of my heart. How, how is God going to speak? He communicates in our spirit. Let me say about this, about the Holy Spirit first. Uh, Holy Spirit is that small voice. He guides but he does not shove. He does not shout. He whispers. Holy Spirit is speaking, but it's not your emotion. A lot of people confuse Holy Spirit with emotions. Holy Spirit deals with your spirit, and your emotions may be a key to your human spirit, but the voice of the Holy Spirit is not your emotions. They're not the same things that we see sometimes on TV and so forth. And we need to learn the difference between emotion and in the voice of the Spirit. How do you know the vo voice of the Spirit? Well, the Bible clearly tells us, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So if you're following Jesus Christ, you will know when God is speaking. For example, when Judas fell by transgression, apostles needed to replace him, right? And they were thinking who should take his place. And Acts 1, 24 says, and they prayed and said, O Lord, who knows the hearts of all? Show which of these two you have chosen. And, and God spoke to them, and he's chosen. Quiet, other ways. He may, may speak uh, in providence, but many times God speaks in the quietness of the heart. And that's the reason we need to understand that prayer is a powerful thing. And prayer is a two-way street. You know, when we pray, we just kind of, we just pray at God. We don't talk to God. Have you ever been in a conversation with a person that does all the talking? Kind of a egotist? Anybody know what an egotist is? Somebody that talks about them so much that you don't have time to talk about yourself? 
And we have to acknowledge him in our prayer. We have to, it's a two-way street. And folks, a lot of times in our life, we just need to sign a blank check over to God and say, God, fill it in. What is it that you want us to do? You know, C.T. Studd, he was a British missionary, and he wrote a poem, and there's a line that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friend, don't be afraid of the God's will and giving him a free check. God is not something, God's will is not something that you have to do, something we get to do. And God will choose for you what you wouldn't choose for yourself had enough, if you had enough common sense to choose it. And some of us don't say those prayers because, well, what if I end up as a missionary in Africa? Right? But in Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to do will and to do for his good pleasure. So really we're slandering the character of God when we're saying, and the only choice I have is between doing the will of God and then my own fulfillment. That's slander. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give you desires of your heart. See, when you're walking with the Lord and the Lord opens up the trip to missionary, to Africa, or whatever, you would want to go. You would want to go. And look what Jesus said. Jesus said, my food is to do the will who sent me. In John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To finish his work. My meat, my bread, my butter is to do the will that he sent me. What's your food, my friend? What, what are we feeding on? Real satisfaction, real fulfillment comes from doing the will of God. And some people just say, well, it doesn't work for me. Well, if it doesn't work for you, before you say that, you know, God has not guided you. And I want to ask you a very personal, personal question. Are you trusting him with all your heart? Remember uh, in 1 Samuel, this is not in PowerPoint, just 1 Samuel chapter 3 First 10 verses, I believe, God was talking to Samuel, but he was running to Eli. He's like, what do you, what do you want? He said, I didn't call you. He did that about three times. And then Lee, Eli probably got tired and said, look, next time you hear the voice, rather come to me, say, speak, Lord. Servant listens. And the problem with our prayers is we say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. Here's my wish list. But what is it that God's trying to tell you through prayer? And God does this through our spirit. Now, how does God does this? I want to not touch too much time on it, but I need you to understand that it's not some miracle way or some kind of jumping up and down or giggly type of attitude. I want you to see what the Bible says in Acts 8, 29. It says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now, how do you think the Spirit told this to Philip? Was there a big sign or something, their text message up in the sky God sent? Or No, Philip was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He was in stream with the Spirit, 
And he was impressed on his heart to go. And if you look at Acts 13, 2, it says, and they as ministered to the Lord and fasted. When was the last time anybody ever fasted? When they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They're going to become a missionary team. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to the church, spoke to these people corporately. They all had the same understanding. The Spirit of God gave them a corporate census, if you would. He moved in the hearts of these people as they were fasting, praying, ministering, as the Bible says here, to the Lord. Let me give you another one. The book of Nehemiah, everybody knows when they were building the, the wall. In Nehemiah 7, 5, it says, Then my God put it in my, into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might register by genealogy. See, then God put it into my heart. God put it into my heart. God said, put it in my heart. God has a plan for his people, and he put that plan in Nehemiah's heart. So God knows how to speak to the human heart. And God also gives us wisdom. You know God's will by God's word, not only by God's direct answer to the prayers. God speaks to the heart, but God also gives us wisdom. And we're going to know God's way in the dark through God's wisdom. Now, if anybody lacks God's wisdom, as it says in James 1, 5 through 6, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reapproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. You see that word, let him ask in faith? That's the same thing as he's saying, trust in the Lord. Ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. God gives us wisdom. It's not just a warm feeling around the heart, and around the eyelashes or something like that. We have goosebumps. It's what I call is just wisdom is sanctified common sense. Having the mind of Christ. Understanding from knowing God's word, the principles of God's word, Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. God gives wisdom, and he will give you wisdom if you pray for it. And also, God gives us wisdom through people of God. That's why we need to have corporate worships. That's why you need to have godly friends. Gives us wisdom through people. In Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in multitude of counselors, there is safety. And Proverbs 24, 6 says, But for the wise counsel you wage your own war. And in multitude of counselors there is safety. Now, I thank God for the counselors in my life, but when you go to a counselor, a friend, make sure that they're mature in Christ, they're walking in the Spirit. And always remember that the Holy Spirit is the final counselor. So Bible tells us, to appeal to this wisdom. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In 1 Corinthians, he writes in chapter 10, 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. So that wisdom gives us the opportunity to judge ourselves what we need to do. So use your intellect, but your intellect needs to be on fire with the Holy Spirit, having the mind of Christ, thinking the thoughts of Christ after him. Another way he directs our path is through providence. He's in Revelations 3, verses 7 through 8, it says this. 
And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these things who says who, who is holy, he who is true, he has the key of David. He opens and no one shuts. And shuts, no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you. For you have little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, somebody said that the door to a room to opportunity swings on hinges of opposition. There's always going to be an open door. God's going to open the door for you. But there's always going to be opposition because the devil is not resting. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians in 69, it says, For a great and effective door has been opened to me. Now he's going to be a great missionary. Got a great door open to me. And he says, and there are many adversaries. You know, the will of God doesn't mean it's going to be all honey and no bees, folks. There's going to be some blood. Now, we all think of the great apostle Paul. He has courage, his missionary journeys and so forth. I said earlier, he asked the two greatest questions. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? He told him what he's going to do. He's saying now, God has opened the door for me. It's awesome. But later, God said this about Paul. We all think the door is open, but he says this. Yeah, Paul, you're going to do all these things. But in Acts 9, 16, he also says, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Folks, there will be blood, there will be sweat and tears, but I'll tell you, when God opens that door, even though you have those things, there's not a... Demon in hell, there's not a person that can shut that door because we read if God opens that door, no one can shut it. Paul suffered, but he was unstoppable. Why? He was on fire for God. Why? Because he trusted the Lord with all his heart. He didn't lean on his own understandings when he could have. He was the, I don't know, he had like three, four PhDs if he converted these days. In all ways, he acknowledged him. But here's the sweet part of this. If you look at Proverbs 3, 6 again, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You know, I don't know what translation you have, but some translations will read, he will make your uh, uh, path straight, straight your paths, Another translation says, you know, you can make your path smooth and so forth. Uh, The idea is not only leading, but also clearing the way. When he's directing your path, he's not only leading you, but he's clearing the way. In Isaiah, we read about this, John the Baptist, in Isaiah 40, uh, verses 3 to 4. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. And crooked places shall be made straight and rough places smooth. See what God does for anybody that's walking in his spirit? A woman, man, boy, girl. A person that trusts him with all their heart and acknowledges him in all their ways God bulldozes a path in the wilderness. 
You know, the world's biggest and most powerful bulldozer is a Komatsu D575. Don't ask me how I know that. I got a couple of nephews that are farmers. They show me on YouTube. And this thing is crazy. It's 16 feet high, 45 feet long, and it's just massive. It can clear away. And that's what exactly it means here. It, God will cut a path. Mountains will melt. Valleys will be filled. Crooked places will be made straight. God smooths the way for his people. And God is saying, if you trust him in all your heart, acknowledge him in all the ways, God's going to put an angel in front of you that's going to bulldoze the way. And though Paul suffered, but he bulldozed his way all the way till the end. There used to be an evangelist, I don't know if you heard of him, Henry Morehouse. Old Henry Morehouse. He always preached on John 3.16, and he had a little crippled girl in his home, and he was always away at these crusades and so forth. And when he came home, he brought a gift for his wife because she's been home and taking care of the kids all the time. And his little girl, you know, she's in crutches. She kind of made her way over there and then put him down, and she crawled over and hugged and kissed her daddy's home. And she said, what's that box? He said, well, that's a gift for your mama. She says, well, let me take it to her. He said, no, darling, you know, it's kind of heavy and it's fragile. And, you know, I want you to drop it. And she said, no, let me take it to mama. He said, honey. She said, dad, let me take it to mama. And, you know, being a Christian and all that stuff, he said, okay. But he was kind of hesitant. But she had a little twinkle in her eye, and he gave her the gift. And she said, now lift me up and take me to mama. And, folks, that's what God does, does for us. That no man, no demon, no force, no power on earth can stand before people of God when they're walking in the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I do. And we can stand against all these things that are happening and find the light in this dark world. And God says, he promises, I'm going to rev up the bulldozer for you and cut away. All you have to do is trust me. And acknowledge me, and I will direct your paths. How are you going to know God's will for your life? Listen, God's will for your life is not a roadmap. And I'm so happy, you know, trust in the Lord, it says in Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Again, trust in the Lord, lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I'm so glad it doesn't say here, now, Corne, if you do this, in five years, you're going to be here. In 10 years, you're going to be here. In 15 years, there's some romance in serving the Lord, right? I'm glad he doesn't say that way. Follow him. The way God's will for the rest of your life, folks, do, do, do something that in the next 15 minutes. Some, some of us are sitting around expecting to do great things and big things, and we don't pay attention to the little things, right? There's little things. It's a progressive thing. I'm not putting anybody down. I come here in vacuum. People know that. I actually went down in the sewers too. But start small. God will lead you. You know, do something in the next 15 minutes. Do something for God. You know, one guy said, I'm going to go be a missionary to Africa. He's like, oh, really? Yeah. He said, it's God's will. He says, well, what are you doing now? He says, oh, not much. He said, well, please don't go overseas and do that. We want to be a missionary but yet, 
we don't even want to open up service with a prayer. Well, how are you going to go be a missionary if you can't stand in front of your own beloved congregation and open up in prayer? In Luke 16, 10, it says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what at least is unjust also in much. If you're not on the small things, you're not going to be, if you're not faithful in everyday things, why is God going to reveal or do some big things through you? Get in the stream of God's Spirit. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him. And let me just say this too. The will of God is for your own welfare and as well as for the glory of God. The best thing that could happen to you, to your spouse, to your children in our country would be for us to get in the will of God and stay there. Secondly, folks, never be afraid. Do not be afraid of the will of God. God will never lead you where the power of God will not enable you and the grace of God will not keep you. If this is the will of God, trust in it. Number three, and most importantly, you're free to choose or not to choose the will of God. You're absolutely free to choose or not to choose it, but you are not free to choose the consequences of not obeying the will of God. You're free to jump out of the airplane without a parachute, right? But once you jump out, you're not free to choose the consequences. You go down. You're not free to choose the consequences of not doing the will of God for your life. Because why? He has an individual plan for everyone that he laid down before the foundations of the world that you will walk in them. And Colossians 1.10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And friend, you cannot walk worthily until you know the will of the Lord. The worthy walk is walking in his will. And that's what pleases God. Nothing outside God's will pleases him. And if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. I said it before. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. And the way to please God is to walk in his will, worthy walk, and then he will make you fruitful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that spoke to our hearts, especially mine this morning that we are to trust you 100%. In all areas of our life, we are to acknowledge you in all our ways. And then you will direct our paths and guide us and lead us and pave the way that we could be fruitful for you here while we are on this earth. And Father, as we leave this place today, I always pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.